Hi, this is Timothy Pig, and I want to welcome you to Text Driven Podcast, a podcast put out by the Ministry of Fellowship Church in Southwest Florida. Text Driven Podcast exists to equip you to know God and make Him known through text driven preaching and practice. To learn more about Fellowship Church, visit our website, fellowshipchurch.co. Welcome to another episode of the Text Driven Podcast, where we're trying to provide you with resources to help you to live a text-driven life. And one of those resources that uh, we want to make you aware of that we've been using over the last several episodes is a book by J. Oswald Sanders entitled Spiritual Leadership, Principles of Excellence for Every Believer. There certainly is a leadership vacuum in about every area in our culture. There's a leadership vacuum in government. There is a leadership vacuum in the home. There's a leadership vacuum in most churches in our country. Leadership is an essential thing that God has created in order for his mission to be accomplished. And in this episode, we're going to talk about several of the responsibilities of leadership. We're going to look at chapter 16 and go through the four responsibilities that Sanders outlines in this chapter and make some comments along the way about how important it is that every leader, whether it be in government, whether it be in the home or the church, or maybe even at your job, doesn't matter where you are, it is necessary that you live out these text-driven responsibilities of leadership. So let's dive into it. And the first responsibility of leadership is service. And I think this responsibility is probably the chief of all of the responsibilities. Why? Because it is the title of a servant that describes our master, Jesus Christ. You could go through and you can read in the book of Isaiah, the suffering servant passages. For these are the prophetic chapters that teach us about the type of king that Jesus would be when he walked this earth. And he was not a king that most people anticipated. For most people anticipated a king that would come and ride in on a noble steed and overthrow the Roman government, restore Israel back to its glory days of King David and Solomon, and lead a governmental revolution. But instead, Jesus did not come as a revolutionary to reform the government. But instead, he came as a humble servant, a slave, born in obscurity, in Bethlehem, Nazareth, a little small place, in a stable. Doesn't sound like a birthplace of a king, does it? And Jesus grew up a common man, the son of a carpenter, learning how to work with his hands. And he was so obscure, so different from what Israel was looking for, that when he claimed to be God and to be the king 
of the Jews and the king of all kings. They nailed him to a cross and they crucified him. But you can read in Matthew's gospel that the Bible says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When the Apostle Paul reflects on the life of Jesus and he admonishes the church of Philippi to follow the example of Jesus, he does so by describing our Savior as a servant. For in Philippians chapter 2, speaking of Jesus, he said he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. Jesus did not assume a title of superiority, but instead he took the role of a servant. You can read about how in the Last Supper, in the upper room, Jesus did not delegate the task of washing feet to one of his disciples, but instead he stood up from the table, went and grabbed a water basin, tied a towel around his waist, and he went to each of his disciples, and he did the task of a lowly slave. You see, the first responsibility that you have, the first responsibility that I have as a leader is to be a servant, is to serve others. Listen to what Sanders says on page 151. The Son of God became the servant of God in order to do the mission of God. And men, if we are going to accomplish the mission that God has for us, ladies, if you're going to accomplish the mission that God has for you, it can only be done if we fulfill the responsibility and assume the position of a servant. Listen to what Sanders says on page 152. The true leader is concerned primarily with the welfare of others, not with his own comfort or prestige. Does that describe you? Are you a person that is looking to serve other people, to make sure that their comfort comes before your own, to make sure that they have all their needs met? Let me give you some practical illustrations of this. Suppose on a Sunday morning, you walk into church and you see a young mom and you see a young dad and their child you can tell is giving them the hardest time on Sunday. Let me ask you, instead of giving an eye of criticism, do you instead go and ask how you can serve that precious young family? You see that they have multiple children and the children are running around the church and it's very difficult for mom and dad to to bring them together and to help them get under control. Let me ask you, do you go over there kindly and ask the parents if you can help them 
serve them, care for them. Because you know what that mom needs? You know what that dad needs? They need to hear the word of God on Sunday. And they're not going to be able to hear it very well unless somebody comes and helps them and serves them. That's just a practical way that you can practice the responsibility of being a servant. The second leadership responsibility that Sanders addresses is on page 152 and 153. And he addresses the topic of discipline. Now, he speaks of discipline in two ways. The first way he speaks of discipline is that of self-discipline. When you think of self-discipline, I want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Certainly, all of us would love to have an extra 30 minutes or an extra hour of sleep. We would all enjoy just a few more minutes of a time of rest and relaxation. Even though we know that there is a pile of work that needs to be done, the man or woman who is self-disciplined, the man or woman who is self-controlled, will not allow those moments of rest and relaxation to overtake them, but instead will rest for a moment and then get right back to the task they need to do. They are self-disciplined. They don't necessarily need somebody telling them, hey, you need to clock back in and get back to work. Hey, you need to stay focused. Hey, you need to make sure you get this done on time. But a self-controlled person, a self-disciplined person, is able to make a list of tasks to accomplish every single day and then sets their mind to get the work done. Now, let me talk to you practically for just a moment because there's many people who would think that they are not self-disciplined people. Well, let me encourage you if you fall into that category. The book of Galatians teaches us that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, what that means is, is if the Spirit of God lives within you, then the Spirit of God is going to produce fruit in your life. And one of those guaranteed fruit that will be produced in your life is self-control, self-discipline. Therefore, because self-control and self-discipline is a fruit of the Spirit, then you, mom, and you, dad, can be a self-disciplined person. Now you say, how do I do that? Let me give you a practical way to develop the discipline uh, that you need in your life. Every single evening, before you lay down, grab a piece of paper, And put at the top of that paper, tomorrow's date. So if I was doing this today, uh, I would, uh, at the very end of today, I would grab a sheet of paper and at the very top, I would write down the next day. And then under that, what you would do is you would create a list of tasks that you know have to get accomplished tomorrow in those next 24 hours. And you take that piece of paper with you wherever you go and you set out that next day to 
cross off every single item on that list. After doing that for several days, weeks, and months, you will begin to develop a self-disciplined life. Now, the second type of discipline that Sanders talks about is the discipline of correction. For it is part of the leader's role to correct a person who is not going in the right direction. And this correction must happen in the same way the Lord corrects us. Let me draw your attention to our Lord's discipline of us as Christians in Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to what the scripture says. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. For God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So what is the passage telling us? The passage is telling us that because God loves us, he corrects us and he does so like a father to his children. So part of being a leader is having to discipline that there will come opportunities where you're going to have to be like a father and do a disciplinary action. And nobody likes doing that. I don't care who you talk to. Nobody enjoys doing the task of discipline. And there's a way that we ought to do it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we have an obligation as brothers and sisters in Christ to practice this responsibility of applied discipline. Sanders outlines on page 153, five principles we need to keep in mind if we're going to lovingly correct a brother or sister who is wayward in their walk with God. Listen to these five. Number one, first, conduct a thorough and impartial inquiry. Number two, then consider the overall benefit of the disciplinary action to the work and to the individual. Number three, do all in a spirit of love. Number four, always keep the spiritual restoration of the offender in view. Now, this is very important. You must understand that when you have to discipline somebody, the goal of discipline is restoration. The goal of discipline is course correction. You do not want to discipline in a manner that is has the goal of expulsion. Instead, your discipline must 
always be from a place of love and reconciliation and restoration. Now, if the one who has done wrong refuses the restoration and refuses the reconciliation and refuses the love, then naturally expulsion is going to be a necessary consequence. Number five, pray it through. Do not be haste in a disciplinary situation. Be prayerful. Pray at the beginning. Pray through your plans of the disciplinary action. Pray during your confrontation in the disciplinary action. And pray at the conclusion of the disciplinary action. Let God saturate your time of discipline. Number three, the third leadership responsibility that Sanders outlines is guidance. Guidance. A leader inevitably is going to guide people, is going to move people from point A to point B. And there's no other example, greater example of this than we have in the Old Testament. Two biblical characters come to mind. The first is Moses. Think about this for just a moment. Moses was given the responsibility to guide the people of God out of the world superpower of Egypt into the promised land. And when those people rebelled against God, he had to remain a vigilant leader and guide them through a 40-year wilderness wandering. There is so much we can learn about guidance from Moses. Now, a second person that you could do a, a study on pertaining to guidance is Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah was burdened over the walls of the city of Jerusalem, how they had been ransacked and destroyed. And he is given permission, being the cupbearer, to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And he does this, and he gives guidance to a downtrodden, depleted, dilapidated, depressed group of people, and he guides them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. How did he do that? He cast vision. He kept the mission before them. And he led out in the task. This is very similar to what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament. Be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. So as Paul received the instructions from the Lord, he gave those instructions to the people and he told the people, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, moving quickly. And finally, the fourth responsibility of a leader is initiative. Initiative. This is found on pages 154 to the end of the chapter on page 156. Now, what does it mean to fulfill the responsibility of 
initiative. I love how Sanders just defines it at the bottom of page 154. He says this, a leader does not wait for things to happen, but makes them happen. Quoting an archbishop on page 155, Sanders says this, the frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. Now let's talk about initiative for just a moment. When you think about initiative, I don't want you to think that it means to be haphazard or it means to be foolish. Just go out and do something with no regards. No, scripture is very clear in the Proverbs that it is important to plan. It is important to listen to wise counsel. But listen carefully. Once you have planned and once you have taken into account the wise counsel and once God has given a direction, you have an obligation to obey God and take the initiative. You say, but I don't have everybody on board. That's not your problem. If you're going to be a leader in your job, if you're going to be a leader in your home, if you're going to be a leader in your church, once God tells you to move, you must move. Let me give an example, particularly in the context of the home. Dads, you need to take the initiative in getting your family to church. You say, but my wife's not on board with it. My kids don't want to go. It doesn't matter. You need to take the initiative and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You say, well, my kids will hate me. It is better, listen carefully, it is better to be obedient to God and his favor rest upon you than to garner the praise of your children and disobey the Lord. We must take the initiative. What does that mean? Once God says go, go. Let me give you an example in a place in which we need to take the initiative. It's in the Great Commission. For Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, looked at his disciples and he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. For my spirit will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now listen to me carefully. We have been waiting for God too long to tell us to go make disciples. When in his word, he has already told us to get up and go. He cannot get any more clear than in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now the call is to you and to me to take the initiative because God has said go, and we need to get up and go and make 
known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Text Driven Podcast. For more resources like this one, go to our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co. And if you're ever in the Southwest Florida area, I would love for you to join us at Fellowship Church on the Lord's Day. You can find the times and locations for our worship services on our website as well. Until next time, know that we are praying for you to live a text-driven life. God bless.